It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Hello and happy uh, recording day. <laughs> well, hello. Welcome back to uh, the Hive Jive. Yeah, I, I was going to say a date and then I was like, well, that's silly because um, we always record them in advance and they don't air when we do it. So saying a day is irrelevant. Um, how are you? Or is everything going well? Yeah, just busy, you know, apprenticeship and training in Nigeria and B school and, and the World B Day, everything as usual. Everything and all on top of itself all at once. Yeah. <laughs> And B season is about to start. There, that's what I was just getting ready to ask was um, how far along you guys are on your season. Because like, I know down there, a lot of times spring can kind of start in February and we're now in March. So things should be in theory ramping up. But up here, um, the daffodils and the grape hyacinths are just breaking the ground and the trees are not even thinking about budding out yet. So it's a completely different world <laughs> from where you're at. Well, you know how it happens in Texas. We we get like spring in February, but then we get like freezes and the buds on the citrus trees froze up and, you know, the bees were brooding up. Some lost their lives because they were too early. And it's just kind of a uh, false start very often and yeah. we had the last freeze this weekend uh, Friday Saturday was pretty cold and um, today's going to be 80 so and it's supposed to be like this the entire week except there might be ups and downs still a little bit but I think we're good to go now and and I've seen uh, brood in some caps brood actually in some colonies and it's it's there it's, it's there it's, yeah well see that's that's also like I think we will be lucky if we hit 60 today. I think 58 is our high. So, you know, about <laughs> maybe three or four weeks behind you guys and 20 degree difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Friday, it was like the high was like 50 ish, very and windy as we had to move the apprenticeship from last Saturday, from this past Saturday to this one. But the trade-off is that this weekend is going to be so nice. We're going to spend the entire day in bees. So that'll be nice. And we're going to do a field trip to your yard. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. Well, today we are going to discuss um, hypothetical conspiracy theories with a giant question mark on the end of it. And it's, it's just kind of things to make you think. And what prompted this is an article um, I can share the article. I'm only going to really read the very first paragraph of it, but I can share the article in the posting for people. Um, it's from ABC News, and the title of the article comes up and says, U.S. officials reverse course on pesticides harm to wildlife. Now, that right there should in insinuate, we would think that it would be indicative of the fact that they have done research and they have found that the pesticide is actually not as harmful or deadly to all these other species as was previously expected. However, <laughs> when you read the very first opening paragraph, it sums it all up and it puts it into a perspective that is 
disheartening and unfortunately the reality of kind of the world that we live in today. And uh, I thought this could be a good little talking point that can lead into some other subjects. But so that first paragraph says that it's from Billings, Montana. U.S. wildlife officials reversed their previous findings that a widely used and highly toxic pesticide could jeopardize dozens of plants and animals with extinction. That's a big statement. And again, it would you would hope that it's because they have found that maybe their research was wrong. But the very next sentence, after receiving pledges from chemical manufacturers that they will change the product labels for malathion, so that it's used more carefully by gardeners, farmers, and other consumers. So they're not changing and reversing their decision because new research has come out to say that the pesticide is not as harmful or deadly. They're changing it because the pesticide and chemical companies have lobbied against them and promised that they will change their labeling. Nothing in the formula of the product, nothing in its toxicity, just the labeling so that hopefully farmers and gardeners and people will go through and use it more responsibly. Now, even if you use something responsibly, there can be unintended consequences. And that has been a very underlying theme of, of all of our beekeeper chats is unintended consequences. You've heard us say that more than once. So- about them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People don't think about all the ramifications of what happens when you do something. Right. And so in this instance, the- uh, Malithian, is that how would you would say it? Malithian, yeah, that's what yeah. I would say. Malithian. So it was found to be extremely toxic, and they thought that it could cause chain reactions to where if it wipes out this, it could then also spread by other creatures that eat the things that it killed and then have a detrimental effect on them, and it could actually cause this widespread extinction of multiple insects and mammal species. That's huge. 78 78 species would be threatened with extensions. Right. And, and that is a massive thing, but it's okay now because they're going to change their labeling. Like that kind of stuff just pisses me off. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's uh, some people that are fighting back. They're saying basically theoretical restrictions doesn't mean that there will be less use of uh, the chemical, especially if the habits have been to be using it according to a much more lenient label or much more, you know, applying much more of it. And, and so in the end, it's meant to uh, control mosqui mosquitoes, but it's highly toxic to insects, uh, including honeybees fish and crustaceans. And it's even got carcinogenic uh, potential for humans as well. So, I mean, what are we doing? You know, Les would be appalled. He, we're poisoning our planet, we're poisoning ourselves and we're threatening all those species with extension. And then we wonder where this colony collapse disorders or, or you know, um, threats to our pollinators. Right, exactly. And in, and in perfect form and fashion for this day and age, what gets it changed are the people that are causing the problem. And the change is not for better, it's for their profits so that they can continue doing what they're doing and selling the products that they're selling. Well, that's why the Malathion manufacturers were very much represented during those meetings. I do not understand that how wildlife officials went for this. I mean, to me, they're suspicious. To your point about conspiracy theories, who's getting their pockets lined in right. this Right. I mean, this is all about the same thing. Money talks. It's all about money. 
right? And um, in the end, uh, they're saying that the EPA would post online details that pesticide users should follow, um, things like no spray zones and areas that are critical of wildlife, wildlife habitat. Well, who's going to go online and, and look that up before they go and spray for mosquitoes? Do you know anybody that's going to really do that? No. Most of the time, I, 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 would, <laughs> I would assume that when somebody buys any type of chemical, they make it through the first set of directions only. How do I put it on? Do I, and how much concentration is it? And that's it. And then from there, they just go to town and start spraying stuff. They don't, they don't even necessarily make it down into the cautionary and danger and, you know, all of these other hazardous warnings that are on the labels. It's just, okay, so I should apply, you know, two cups of this to one gallon of water, put it in pump sprayer and spray it on whatever I don't want. Good. I'm gone. And that's it. And they're gone. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. This is appalling because uh, we, when um, pesticides are uh, applying for approval in the United States, in Europe, there's all kinds of stu studies that come into play, including long-term effects and synergistic effects with other, they basically have to prove no harm. In the US, they don't have to do that. They just don't have to prove no harm is being done. They just apply and, and with a set of positive, um, just kind of like, hey, this is passing a certain level of um, uh, LD50 for species, right? But it doesn't look down the road and it certainly doesn't, the burden is not on them to prove, um, to prove basically that it's not um, as toxic as it is. No, the, the only thing that they have to prove is that slightly underhanded, there will be a financial windfall in your future if you allow this to move forward. Right. What, what's appalling to me is that it's all about politics as well, because lobbying comes into play. And um, I'm not going to go down to the, you know, politics of it um, per se, but when you see that the dog chemical company um, for, the, for the previous administration chose to ignore government studies on a family of pesticides that included melatheon, uh, it, that's because of lobbying. They yeah. were, you know, they're paying people to... Yeah, uh, they were, I'm French, so to me, it's legalized corruption. So Yeah, well, I mean, they were, they were banned, they were removed from shelves, and then all of a sudden that ban was reversed so that they could come back. And and how did that happen? Somebody got paid a lot of yes, money. Right. That's right. Um, even whenever Colony Collapse and everything first started coming out and we started identifying that some of the links to this were things like the neonicotinoids and how they had the systemic effects on things and sublethal effects that then would have lethal effects, you know, one generation removed kind of things. One of the interesting things with that is like Bayer and some of the other companies in response to it, they didn't necessarily make any pledges or promises that they were going to do anything to fix it or to help. What they did is they started putting out advertising for things like helping pollinators, and they started sending out these seed packets. That they, they whitewashed would, their image. Yeah, to give away for free because we want to be friendly. We want to help the pollinators. And in, even in that, unintended consequences. So those seed packets yeah, were a generic pack. Yes. They went everywhere across the country. But the plants and the seeds that are inside those packets are not necessarily, what do we want to say, native exactly to the areas where now these people are going to be getting them, planting them, which means one of two things could possibly happen that are not good. Either the seeds don't ever grow, and so therefore it was for nothing, or 
you've now introduced a potential invasive species into a climate and habitat that wouldn't have had it otherwise, and it could outcompete the native forage, and you've got all these other issues that come up. Unintended consequences again, right? I was like, who's thinking this through? How about holding back and really trying to think about you know, further ramifications, not just what's in front of us. We're very narrow-sighted. We don't look at the extent and the implications geographically, but also down the time, down, down the future. So. Yeah. And the only things that really did end up making a, a bigger difference in some of that was that the general public got educated and the general public said, I'm going to stop shopping at your establishment if you continue to carry these types of products and I'll go to these organic gardeners and organic farms and I'll buy my stuff from there. So then you've got these major corporations like Lowe's and Home Depot that are like, well, crap, now we're losing money. So we're going to have to make a change and we're going to stop carrying those products. And it, it rolls back uphill kind of in a way to where once you get those major chains on board and they say, we're not going to support this, then the chemical manufacturers have to make a decision. And then unfortunately, that decision wasn't necessarily that, oh, we're going to stop making that chemical or we're going to ban the chemical. It was the producers who made the decision, we're going to stop applying that chemical to the plants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it, it's not, we're never going to get where we need to be, I don't think, in, in our food and our agriculture and any of that, because it's it's just this monstrous machine that is so out of control that there's no stopping it. That's kind of the feeling that I get. And it's a very defeating feeling. It's disheartening. And, you know, so if you go to the, the big box stores and you buy anything, the seeds, especially um, if they're painted, if they're colored, full if they've got any kind of color that's not natural that's because they contain some of those toxic you know nicotinoids and all kinds of other things you don't want those a lot of the plants that are being sold to your point are treated with that you don't know that but it gets systemic through uh the plants and then when the pollinators are foraging on those bugs they get contaminated um, they get impacted by those pesticides i don't know i think that um the the um problem with big ag is um, kind of pushing towards that. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Les was saying, and he's got a perfectly good point. After World War II, the manufacturers of mustard gas and other chemicals um, had nowhere to put all their pesticides, their, their, their toxic chemicals. So what did they do? They decided that, oh, well, maybe we could use that as pesticides. And so they found a market and they started offloading and pushing and campaigning for that kind of products into agriculture that we didn't really need initially. And they created a need for their product. It's all about money. We're all getting gaslighted is what it is. Yeah, if, uh, if you all remember, I mentioned the documentary, The Pollinators, and said that, you know, you can, I think you can find it out there now pretty much um, fairly easily on streaming platforms and stuff, but they talk about that in there. And, and that's absolutely correct. Whenever world war started causing issues and we started trying to figure out how we can combat our enemies, these chemical companies started producing, hold on. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. That was a, uh, there, there will be a little bit of a strange cut there. Um, I was waiting on a phone call for a delivery and they just called. So we paused the recording real quick. Um, but we were in the middle of talking about how these chemical companies in World War One, it wasn't as big of a thing, but in World War II, chemical warfare definitely took this big step up. And these chemical companies decided to start creating all this stuff. And again, when the war was over, what are we going to do with it? Well, we have tons of it. So we need to find ways to go through and start adding it into things. And unfortunately, 
that is our reality for a lot of stuff that we consume on a daily basis that we don't realize because it was manufactured for something else. And then they have an excess or it's a byproduct of a different manufacturing process and they've got to figure out what to do with it. So they add it to things. Your toothpaste, for example, has things added in it that are honestly not necessarily there to protect your teeth. <laughs> They're there because they needed somewhere to put stuff. And it's, it's kind of, it's scary in some regards, but it also has reaches into other things that you've talked about before, Natalie, like where they start coming in and they start helping out because we need you to continue to be reliant on our stuff. So mite treatments is a big point where that shows a good overlap in that, where you've got the chemical companies pushing, you really need to do this. And, and then you get manufacturers that buy into it and kind of get on board with it as well. That was your segue. <laughs> I know. I, I I was just kind of like lost in my thoughts about the other products that we're using that um that we're just kind of not really realizing that it has unintended consequences. And I was completely lost in my thoughts. <laughs> I didn't get your segue. I was thinking about styrofoam and uh, beehives that were made out of styrofoam and and what I wanted to say about that. So give me my segue again. <laughs> It's like a code for I, I didn't hear what you just said. <laughs> Sorry. I can start that all over. <laughs> well, just give me the, 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 the brief, you know, recap. Oh, it, it, so not only can it go hand in hand with like these briberies and these payoffs and things like that, but they obviously they want you to continue using their products. And they've got to find creative ways to do that. So in some regards, that's a, a good example of how mite treatments and manufacturers have now kind of gone hand in hand because the chemical manufacturing companies have said, hey, this is a revenue stream for us. We need to convince you, you need to keep yeah. doing this. And yeah. the manufacturers buy into it. And then they work hand in hand with each other to continue pushing the product out to the end consumer so they continue making money. So this is a great segue indeed, especially with my uh, line of um, beekeeping, because what happens is that those chemical companies are pushing those mite treatments. Their interest is to sell more of it. And it happens when you lower the threshold for treatments. So they're artificially are um, uh, manipulating the, the number of mites that they say you should be treating above. And um, it used to be like 15 per uh, 100 mites, uh, 100 bees. And then now it's down to like three or something or one or I forget. We don't really care about that because we breed for tolerance, for survival and thriving uh, despite the presence of the mites. So we don't really care about how many mites, ex except when there's a lot of them, we're really happy because our bees are thriving. That means they're tolerance and they're survivor or top stock. So that's what we strive for. The point, though, is that um, in turn, the beekeeping industry was um, very much so pushed to consumption of those miticides. Um, and they were told, if you don't use those miticides, your bees will die. Um, and then that they also created um, fight infighting between beekeepers, between people that believe in treatments and people that don't believe in treatments. And they pit those people against each other. Uh, and what happens is that everybody gets entrenched in their own um, uh, camp and are pointing the finger at each other, forgetting that behind the scenes, the chemical companies really bear a brunt, the brunt of the responsibility when it comes to that, right? When we're not talking about uh, them, when we're fighting between each other, we're not really looking at the impact that those pesticides have on the colonies of bees. And, uh, you know, 
beyond that, I think that the um, underlying, the way agriculture, agriculture is um, structured these days with big ag pushing for uh, the use of a lot of pesticides because they've got a lot of, their monoculture is not healthy on the ground. It's not healthy on the, on the plants either. Uh, and then they end up um, putting fungicides and, and uh, herbicides um, to prevent, you know, uh, I think it was the almond orchards. They were, they were getting rid of the fungicides because they wanted the, the ground to warm up and not have any kind of like freezing of the ground underneath. Um, to allow for better germ, um, um, flowering of the trees. Well, when you do that, you kill off every all the diversity of forage that you could offer to pollinators, and that makes for really poor conditions for the ones that are brought in and carted in. Uh, add to that a fungicide you spray on the plants, and, and it's just kind of a catastrophic failure when it comes to that. So, And then we act all surprised. What is causing the collapse of our bees? What is killing our bees? What's um, well, giving everybody cancer? <laughs> All the yeah. crap you continually well, consume. Why are we surprised? Yeah. <laughs> so that that was a great segue to get me on my uh, my uh, my soapbox. But yeah, but no, you had an also you had another good point though about like styrofoam and yeah. you know plastics and things that we use in today's world. We found that a lot of plastics actually leach toxic chemicals into your food. And so now we've got to have food grade plastics that are okay for that. And your honey buckets, now you got to buy some that make sure that they're food grade. Um, you have all these different things, but what about plastic frames inside your hives? What about hives made out of styrofoam? Like, are those food grade? Do they have the bad chemicals in them? Are they leaching out? Because we already know that honey is hydroscopic. It likes to pull, it likes to absorb. So does wax. Wax absorbs chemicals that are oil-based. And so you can end up contaminating your hive by what the hive is in. Now, I will say though, I have seen bees do some really dumb things. Oh yeah. And I have removed bees from inside of giant tires. There's no way in hell that can be healthy. And everything has to be destroyed. The, the, the comb, the honey, all of it, it smells like rubber. It's gross. And yet they're living in there. And that is so, you know, we do tout that they are very intelligent little insects, but they do have their faults every now and then. <laughs> I mean, they will make mistakes. They do not understand how long-term some of the stuff might have consequences for them as well, or, you know, with the changes of temperatures. My big thing right now is I see a lot of beekeepers going gaga over those polystyrene styrofoam hives because they finally figured out, because you know we've been telling them for years that insulation is, a, is an issue and the Langstroth hives are not made for that and they're not conducive to good uh, thermodynamics in the colony and they, they actually are stressful to the bees. So there was that study that came out of uh, Australia and I'm talking to Guy because I want him to uh, kind of uh, do the study on the um, top bar hives as well, the horizontal configuration. So we're talking to him, but the point he was making in that article that came out recently is that they're not, the Langstroth hives are not ideal for the bees. They're poorly insulated, the thermodynamics don't work. And so people finally figured it out and they started saying, well, how can I improve the insulation for my hives to keep my bees healthier. Solution, uh, a lot of very entrepreneurial people decided um, to make beehives made out of styrofoam. Yeah, there's an R value that's out of the roof, right? Out through the roof. But the problem is that they off gas, they're toxic, they leach toxic chemicals. They're made from petroleum industry. 
And uh, in Texas, for example, we have a lot of heat uh, in the summer. It goes above 100 easy, easy for a long right? time. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we're placing those beehives into styrofoam, you know, leach, um, leach off toxic chemicals when it's too hot. Right. And the bees also chew. Thinking? And they chew through it. And, and so, and the other thing also is that when they're broken because with overuse, you know, beekeeping is, is, it can get pretty rough on the boxes, right? And so when they're broken and crack and what do we do with all that styrofoam? Goes it's into not, a landfill. Yeah. So I would love for people to be mindful of what they're doing and, and the unintended consequences of what they're trying. I think they mean well. I, I understand that, you know, it comes from a good place. They want better conditions for their honeybees, but there's different ways to do this. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately the, the main thing. And the, the kind of the whole point of today's little discussion was as always unintended consequences, but also trying to help kind of peek behind the curtain of what's driving a lot of the things out there. That's it's always beneficial in beekeeping to be able to think logically and for yourself. There's nothing wrong with listening to different points of view, getting training from different areas, as mm -hmm. long as you yourself can sit down and decipher what makes sense to me in my beekeeping and make those logical leaps of conclusions there when you're like, well, if one plus one is this, then one plus two should be that, you know, mm -hmm. don't necessarily just take something at face value. If it doesn't feel right, if it feels off, think about it. Right. And to your point, exactly. Don't take necessarily things at face value because you have a lot of players and follow the money. You have studies and, and uh, PhDs that tell you you should treat your bees, but that's because they get their budget, their, their funding from uh, companies that, uh, that are pushing for uh, results that are going to show that you need to treat. Right. right? So well, and they follow the money. They've paid a lot of money also for marketing and for image so that you will feel like you have to do something or you absolutely need something. Or if you don't have it, then you're, you know, you're a bad beekeeper or you're behind. Right. Again, you're an outsider. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to think for yourself. And if it doesn't feel right to you and your practices, then don't do it. But this is something that could be taken into literally every aspect of your life you know, do your yes. own research, find multiple different sources, and then go through it and think about it and see what makes sense to you and what feels right to you. Don't just blindly accept what other people have said. So that's kind of the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, there are some some little bit of like conspiracy kind of talks in there where, you know, is it is it not? I mean, when you read that opening paragraph of that article, that right there says it all, we changed right. our stance on a deadly chemical not because we found out it wasn't deadly, but because somebody paid us money and they promised to change their label. They didn't change the formula. It's still just as deadly. Like that, unfortunately, is the world that we live in. And the only way to combat that is where we choose to spend our money and how we choose to operate and function. And, and it's the health of you, the health of your bees, the health of your family, all the way across the board. Look, whether it's politics or what companies are doing, we vote with our dollars and we need to be mindful of the unintended consequences. It's, it's just kind of a motto, like you said, that goes through life and it's true for everything. If we, if we ever release this out on, uh, on the main platform like, for, for like episodes, we're just going to call the whole season unintended consequences. <laughs> That's the theme of the entire season. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the underlying theme that'll tie it all together. <laughs> yeah, we need to think this through. We, we, I mean, that's why big marketing companies make so much money, right? That, that That's why they exist for, to just kind of gaslight us. That's right, to make you feel like you need something or to make you feel inadequate if you don't have that thing. Um, you can't live without it. You got to do it. Everybody's doing it. Look at how shiny and pretty it is. I put a lot of money into that. Go for it. <laughs> like, Everybody's doing it, then it must be right. Right. Unfortunately, hmm. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> well, everybody, again, I hope this gave you some food for thought and uh, you can take it as you will go through, read the article. I will post the link to it there. You can probably find many more articles out there. And that's kind of the point. Go do some research and think about some of these things. Research products that you want to use and know what their consequences are going to be both for you and for the bees and for your livestock and your pets and your kids and, and everything. And the future of your kids. And don't take our word for it. Just make your own mind and just research it. Do the research. That's right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you again on our next Beekeeper Chat next week. But until then... Be good. Be mindful. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.